Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And those who were sitting around the table, the scribes, the scholars, the lawyers, if you will, they were very upset because they were thinking to themselves, only God can forgive sins. And by the way, that's absolutely true. They just didn't realize God the Son was sitting in their midst. He could because he would pay for those sins. Today we begin Mark chapter 3 in a new message from Pastor Sam entitled Religious or Righteous. The divide begins to grow as those who recognize his call and recognize their need for him begin to follow and those who reject him begin to try to destroy him. Let's listen in. In Mark chapter 2, we saw Jesus' heart for the last, the least, and the lost. And we saw a stark contrast with the growing animosity of the religious leaders who despised them and were already plotting against him. Blinded by their self-righteousness, they rejoiced only in the law or their delusion that they were somehow keepers of it. They rejected the only one who could save them from themselves, from their sins and impart true righteousness to them. Well, three things took place, more than this, but three things took place that really sort of frame where we're headed today. Jesus forgave sins. And those who were sitting around the table, the scribes, the scholars, the lawyers, if you will, they were very upset because they were thinking to themselves, only God can forgive sins. And by the way, that's absolutely true. They just didn't realize God the Son was sitting in their midst. He could because he would pay for those sins. And so it's something only God can do. If you weren't here, I highly recommend you grabbing chapter 2 and, and taking a listen to it. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. They didn't really like this either because they again despised tax collectors and sinners, looked down on them. And self-righteousness always does that. It makes us judgmental of those we think are less than us, not as good as us, not as right as us or spiritual as us. And listen, tax collectors and sinners, they had problems. But the problems of the self-righteous Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and such, they, those were greater problems because they're blinded by this illusion, this delusion that somehow they were actually righteous. They asked Jesus why he ate with people like that. And he said in chapter 2, verse 16, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's still true today. If you have the righteousness of Christ, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven as you'll ever be. You are cleansed as you'll ever be. You are as perfect as you can be positionally in Christ Jesus. There's still some practical issues to work out, obviously, and we're all working on them. But if you're not in Christ Jesus, know this, he came to lay down his life, to give you life, to impart to you what only he can, a righteousness that makes you acceptable to the Father and will cause you to be accepted by the Father. He said he didn't come to call 
the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we know there are none righteous, not inherently, only one. I don't want to say none. Jesus was righteous, but he was the only righteous man. Our righteousness is imparted to us, imputed to us. And then the hungry disciples, they're going through the field and they're gleaning. And, and well, again, the religious leaders, like that's breaking the law. They were so upset that they would be gleaning on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, that's where we'll be picking up again today. And, and listen to Exodus 31, 12 through 17. Well, I'll summarize it for you. Don't work. Do rest. Keep it holy. That's what the, the law of the Sabbath was all about. Don't work. Do rest. Keep it holy. Now, we have no reason to question the character, the sincerity, the motivations or intentions of those who first began to ponder. God says rest don't work. Keep the Sabbath holy. But what did and what does that actually mean? They attempted to clarify God's law. And in the process, well, they actually obscured it. It led to unintended and no doubt unforeseen consequences. God says... We're not to add to his word. It's Deuteronomy 4.2. He says, do not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. There's a suggestion there. It's subtle, but he's saying if you get into adding or subtracting, well, you won't be keeping. Uh, maybe that's not so subtle. Maybe that's straight up what's being said. In Deuteronomy 12. Um, 32, he repeats the command, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it and you shall not add to it nor take away from it. Revelation 22, 18, sort of book ending the whole Bible, the law, first five books of Moses and then the book of Revelation says in Revelation 22, 18, don't add and don't take away from God's word. Well, sadly, they disobeyed. They elevated their ideas above his word. And they made their ideas equal to his word and even necessary to understand his word. In their minds, breaking their laws was the same as breaking God's law. That's why they're so upset when this rabble, these people that they despised, broke the law that they so loved and so well, they became worshipers of the law instead of worshipers of the Lord. The results, his word was obscured, not clarified by theirs. The rest the Sabbath was meant to provide was replaced with a yoke of bondage, which we read in the book of Acts, neither they nor their forefathers were ever able to bear. Now, knowing no one's infallible, and I'm certainly no one, so I fit that. Uh, God exhorts all of us to receive the word with readiness of mind and search the scriptures daily to see if those things are so. Well, chapter three, verse one, he entered the synagogue. Again, a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. We know that 
well, he's been healing. He's been casting demons out. He's been forgiving. And, and, and so they had problems with a lot of that. And here's why. Don't work for them included healing. Now, you could bandage a wound, you could stop bleeding, but you couldn't put ointment because that might begin the healing process. It doesn't make any sense, but they thought that made perfect sense. They also said, well, working has to include carrying a burden. And somehow they came to the conclusion that if you had false teeth, putting your false teeth in was carrying a burden. Yeah, you had to pick them up and you had to, whatever you do, I mean, I have all my own teeth and I'm happy about that. But, uh, but you know, if you had a wooden leg, you weren't allowed to attach it. Now it's common sense. Any of us can, can process this. It's gotta be harder to gum your food all day than to put your teeth in. That's actually working on the Sabbath. And jumping around on one leg? Rather than putting in your wooden leg? No, I say put your teeth in, put your leg on, get your patch on, and go downtown. <laughs> but the bottom line is this. They took what God said, which is so simple and so clear. If you ask a, a seven-year-old, what do you think God men, means when he says not to work on the Sabbath? He'll say, don't make my bed. You know, it's, I mean, they're very practical, but these guys, they just laid it on and pounded on and, and piled it up. So anyway, they're watching him carefully. And, and as he enters, by the way, all eyes were on him. But his eyes would be on the most needy among them. So as soon as they realize there's a man with a withered hand, their eyes go from Jesus to the man with the withered hand to Jesus to the man with the withered hand. And how does he respond to this? Well, he said to the man who had the withered hand, verse three, step forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Is it lawful on the Sabbath, excuse me, to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? Now, this is amazing. They kept silent. They had nothing to say. Listen, Maybe it's because the answer's so obvious, it doesn't require any actual answer. But he said, when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their heart, and that word hardness, it's a word that's actually the callousness of their heart. Now, I've noticed over the years that if God's trying to deal with me or you on a specific issue, and it comes up. If I respond to it and I'm like, Lord, I'm busted. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. Give me power over it. I don't want to do it again. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to say those things. Whatever it might be. Listen, if I repent quickly, all is well. If we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But if I don't, well, I'm callousing my heart. And you know how calluses work, right? If you're out in the garden in the spring or in the summer because we got a late start. But if you're out there, you, you build up a little bit of a blister, but it turns to a callus. And then you build a bigger callus and a bigger callus. That's actually good if you're going to be working in the garden. It's really bad if you're callousing your heart. 
And that's what they were doing. Every time they got around him, when they didn't respond rightly to him, they were just building up a thicker callus on their own heart. So he looks at them with anger and with grief because of the hardness of their hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand and his hand was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out immediately and they plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. You would think everyone in that synagogue would be rejoicing because they just saw a miracle. And these kinds of miracles were all prophesied in Isaiah and Jesus when he was in the synagogue back in Nazareth. He read Isaiah 61 to them. It's his mission statement. And and among other things, he said he's coming to heal the sick, to preach the gospel to the poor. he, He lays it all out and they're seeing it happen before their very eyes. But instead of rejoicing and honoring and glorifying God, They're plotting with the political party, the corrupt Jewish Herodians, the self-righteous legalists, plotting with the Herodians because both of them feared Jesus more than they hated each other. And by the way, you think Democrats and Republicans aren't getting along? You really should do some reading on the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. It's nothing new. They were so polarized and so hated each other. Only one thing could bring them together, and that was hatred of Jesus, fear of Jesus, and they had both. Well, Jesus withdrew with, from, with his disciples, verse 7, to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon. Basically what's happening, people from the east, west, north, and south, they are all flocking to wherever he is. So the crowds are really growing. And in the midst of that, it says, um, he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitudes, lest they should crush him for he healed many so that as many as had bad afflictions or had afflictions pressed about him to touch him and the unclean spirits whenever they saw him fell down before him and cried out saying you are the son of God I wonder how many times they heard that out of the mouth of demons before Peter says you are the Christ the son of the living God it's been a few already Fortunately, somehow the disciples aren't really concerned with what demons are saying about Jesus. They're just concerned about what Jesus is doing to the demons, casting them out, banishing them, silencing them, be muzzled. We saw, he said, in the last instance, he dealt with a demon-possessed man. Well, anyway, he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And then he goes up on the mountain and he called to him, verse 13, those he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. First priority, 
that those disciples who in a moment he will call apostles, that they would be with him. And that's his first priority for you. Not what you can do for him or how many people you talk to about him, how many people you share the gospel with. Listen, we should be doing those things. But more than anything, he wants us to walk with him. And one reason for that is, well, it's very simple. He says, abide in me, because unless you do, you'll bear no fruit. But if you abide in me, well, there'll be some pruning. We don't always love that, but it's necessary. And then as he prunes, there'll be more fruit. And ultimately, as we continue to abide in him, there will be much fruit and all that to the glory of the Father. Abundant fruit, fruit that remains. That's what it's all about. So, so walking with him, being with him, not just learning from him, and working for him, but being with him. That's his priority for every one of us. And it's another of those, well, those stark contrasts between a religious person and a righteous person. Because religious people busy themselves trying to do for Jesus without realizing what he most wants is an intimate relationship with them and they with him. Well, the second priority then is to go out and represent him. He's going to change their title. They had the little thing that said, you know, disciple, and now they're going to get the apostle badge. And, uh, and as they go out, they will be empowered by him. He's been training them. We saw that in our first study and some in our second. He has been an example to them. He's been showing them what he's going to have them do. Now he's going to send them out and empower them to do it. An apostle is an ambassador, and an ambassador goes with the full authority of the one who sends him. That's how the ambassadors for the, uh, the United States work. If they're in a foreign country, they go, and when they say, hey, this is what America wants. This is what they're saying. They're sending me. Here's what we want. He has the full authority. She has the full authority to represent our country. And that's what he gives to them. And by the way, in Christ, though we're not apostles as they were, the, 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 you know, the requirements were sort of narrow and we're not going to meet them. We're still being sent out for him as long as we're first sitting in his presence, listening to him, learning from him. And then we're going out doing what he's instructing us to do. Many, many disciples were following him. We just read it. They came from everywhere and many had decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be one of his. But in John 6, 6, 6, easy to remember, many went away and walked with him no more. It's a radical thing that people choose to follow Jesus. And at some point, something happens and they're like, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. I prayed and he didn't answer. Or I wanted this and he didn't give me it. Or, or I, 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 I saw this coming and I said, Lord, don't let that happen. But he let it happen. Listen, we don't understand how God works or, or why he works the way he does. But here's what we're sure of. He loves us and nothing, nothing happens to us that he doesn't take notice of. Nothing happens to us that he's not aware of. 
And listen, he uses everything because he says all things work together for good. That means when we do good, good results. When we don't do good, he says, I can turn that around and make it work together for good. When horrible things happen, he says, I have something I can do with this and in this. So all things working together for good. Well, he gives them power because, listen, he's going to send them out to do the impossible. If you're going to do the impossible, it would be good to get power from the one who makes all things possible. He sends them out having trained and empowered them to heal and to cast out demons. and to, Well, again, his first priority in sending them out is that they would preach. Preach what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message they went out with. Today, the message is a simple gospel. Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. There's life and forgiveness in him. He lists the apostles. I'll just read them and make a couple comments on them. We don't need to develop it because, well, they'll be the rest of the story pretty much. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Simon means reed. Peter means rock. Peter thought he was a rock. Jesus said, no, you're Simon. You are a reed. I'm going to make you a rock. But I'm sure he's like, you know, he calls me Rocky. He, he's just that kind of guy, right? James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. These three are listed first because these three are his inner circle. Some say it's because they had the greatest potential. I agree. The greatest potential for good, and they were the most dangerous to other people. It's sort of like, I'm going to go pray up there. You guys come with me. I'm going to go pray over there. You guys come with me. Whenever he got alone, he made sure they were close enough to say, hey, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, and, you know, James and John, they're the two. When the Samaritans, when they disrespect Jesus, I mean, that's a sin. But when they disrespect Jesus, they're like, give us the word and we'll call fire down out of heaven and destroy them just like Elijah and I'm thinking, these guys know the law, right? It's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The worst you could do if someone disrespect you is a little trash talk, disrespect them back. Oh, yeah, 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 well, what about? So, so here's the thing. That's, I'm not very good at trash talk, but <laughs> nevertheless, I was a fast runner, though. And so uh, that matters in Chicago, where they only have two kind of people, the quick and the dead. So... Uh, Anyway, Simon Peter, Simon who becomes a rock, James and John. And it's interesting because John becomes the apostle of love. He becomes this guy that's just like you read first and second and third John, especially read those latter letters. And, and he is so changed, but they were fiery and passionate. And he, he called them sons of thunder. I've always believed because Zebedee is dad. The thunder had to be mom. So anyway, three radicals, inner circle. Then there's Andrew. That's Peter's brother. He has a habit of bringing people to Jesus. You got to appreciate that. And there are some among us. They're always like, hey, I, I brought this guy and he just gave his life to the Lord. I, I invited my neighbor and, and, and they, they just raised their hand and they, they come up with them. And I'm like, you again, huh? And it's like, there are just some of us. Not that all of us shouldn't or all of us don't share the Lord. Some people, they just see more fruit. 
Don't be discouraged, by the way, if you share the Lord with 50 people and none come to the Lord. That 51st might be the one. And listen, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 just persons who need no repentance. So never tire of telling people about the one who gave his life for us and for them. In today's study, Pastor Sam mentioned Romans 8:28, where the Apostle Paul told us, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, if we find ourselves struggling to see God working through any of our trials, please keep two things in mind. One, we may not see the good on this side of heaven. And two, we're not the only ones who love God. The trial might belong to us, but the good may not be just for us. The entire body of Christ are those who love God, and sometimes God's work through our trials will benefit others, and sometimes many others. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.